This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Greetings and welcome to the Art Forward Podcast. So <laughs> I am um, got to keep it interesting. Got to keep some creative ways of starting this. How's it going? I hope you're well. Um, so it's been a interesting few weeks for me. I've been busy like as funk. Yeah, I said funk. Um, recording podcast episodes and last week um kind of rounded it off i was in manchester um interviewing paul jones from cloudwater and um i don't know if you've been to cloudwater before but that's just it's just a great place and they're a great bunch of guys they're all really friendly really accommodating and, and paul's an inspiring guy um so we talked about mental health and i can't wait to share that episode that's coming out in a few weeks time um, I think I think what he's got to say, actually, as I've reflected on it over the last week, um, I think it's really prevalent for the beer industry and not just for the beer industry, I guess just for 21st century life connected in social media. It, it, he, you know, the, the take on it was amazing. Uh, so I really can't wait to share that with you. Um yeah, so that's that's coming up and a lot of other interviews. Um, I, I want to share a bit of news. Um, I don't know if you had a double take on Twitter as I did, but it, it, it turns out that Beer52 are entering into a joint venture with Lost and Found. Now, I thought he said Lost and Grounded. I was, so I was like, holy shish kebab. Um, but it wasn't. It was Lost and Found. Um, it's interesting that Beer52 are entering into that partnership. Now, I, I subscribe to Beer52. And I think you get some really interesting beers through them. And it doesn't surprise me that they are looking to partner with somebody to produce the interesting beers that they're putting out there. Um, so that's that's a really cool collaboration. Um, so if you want to find out more about that, go to beer52.com and look on their website. And uh, James Brown, who's the founder, talks about that. But I think it's interesting how the industry is going because obviously... For a lot of contemporary brewers, they are reaching a point of maturation. And it's like, well, how do we take this business to the next level? Now, they say in business, you have a natural life cycle of seven years. So a lot of these breweries that started in the, you know, like 2011, 2013, whatever, um, they're, they're reaching that sort of natural conclusion to the end of that life cycle. And obviously, there have been some casualties, uh, not to name any names. Um, but obviously, there are there are other uh, brewers that have upsold, like your Magic Rocks and your your, your Beaver Towns to some extent. Um, but then there are a lot of breweries out there, like uh, like Northern Monks, are a really good example. You know, they did a round of crowdfunding, and now they've done uh, the uh, partnership with the guys who do the Secret Cinema. And oh, what was that burger place called? can't remember fan I can't I'm not going to tweet I'm not going to look online right maybe I should look online right now because I'm recording so uh, can you hear me typing northern this is exciting isn't it this is like when you used to watch the teletext with the football results on a Saturday isn't it uh, northern monk 
investments. Uh, gosh, here we go. Oh man, it's just all like Crowdcube, isn't it? Um, maybe we should actually go on their official <laughs> website. That always helps, doesn't it? And I'll tell you on there. You guys are probably reading off the answer right now. You're all like, oh man, we knew all along it was, mm, you know, mm, why, man, I'm really dragging this out. I'm, I'm doing it. I've committed now, so I'm doing it. Um, yeah, those guys. Active Partners, there you go. www.active.partners. Just just to make just, <laughs> you wait for Honest Burger. That was the burger place I was thinking of. Um, I can't even remember what I was saying. Yeah, about breweries re reaching their maturation point. So I think it's interesting to think of the different kind of collaborations that we'll see from a brewing perspective and who people are going to partner with. That's got nothing to do with today's episode but I thought I'd bring it up nonetheless because I've kept a keen eye on it um in uh, the last few weeks where there's been um a lot of talk about crowdfunding and whether crowdfunding is a good thing for breweries particularly if the brewery crowdfunds and then they don't spend the money on what they said they would have spent it on or they go under uh, not to obviously name any names but if you go on beer twitter I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about so yeah, I'm going to leave that with you. Um, so I hope, uh, hopefully I can talk to somebody about that on the Hot 4 podcast over the next few weeks. However, moving swiftly on, today on the Hot 4 podcast, I'm joined by beer writer Lily Waits to talk about the Queer Brewing Project. Now, I'm not going to reveal too much as to why I was really keen to get Lily on the podcast um, talking about the Queer Brewing Project because I bring it up in this interview, but it's a subject that's quite close to my heart. And I was just really keen to explore the Queer Brewing Project further. Um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. And just gonna, we're just going to get into this week's interview with Lily Waite from the Queer Brewing Project. As usual, please subscribe to the Hot 4 podcast. It does wonders to um, our ratings on iTunes when you subscribe. And something that does even more wonders and good is when you leave a review and I often I say this on every week and actually some people start leaving reviews so thank you if you've left a review thank you um it's really helpful but if you haven't um please consider going on iTunes or Spotify and leaving us a nice review if you enjoy this podcast and follow us on social media um trying to keep up with all the different platforms and posting stuff in different places regularly um, but we're at Hot Forward Beers and visit the website www.hotforward.beer that is a legitimate web address uh, believe it or not um, but you can check out uh, some of the stuff that we do at Hot Forward to help you get ahead in your beer business so this week's Hot Forward podcast is with Lily Waite from The Queer Brewing Project Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by artist and beer writer Lily Waite to talk about the Queer Brewing Project. Hello. Hey. How's it going? Yeah, really well, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm um, good, thank you. Um, better than the last time I did a podcast. I was full of cold, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm bouncing back. Um, good. For, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with you and your work, can you give us a bit, bit of background, who you are, what you do? Yeah, so I'm a beer writer. I've been writing about beer for about a year 
I started with um, my own blog called Craft Queer, which kind of looked at the intersections of LGBTQ identity and beer to begin mm. with, and then just started writing about beer from my perspective. Um, and I've joined Good Beer Hunting, Pellicle, um, Matt Curtis's new venture, um, and I worked for We Are Beer for a little while, uh, who run the London, Bristol, Edinburgh craft beer festivals. Um, and then I set up the Queer Brewing Project about well, a couple of months ago. It came into being sort of last year, but it launched this year. Um, and it's a collaborative, non-profit, LGBTQ-focused brewing initiative. Mm. So basically, I team up with people, we make delicious beer, and then give some of the proceeds to queer-focused charities. Amazing. So have you got certain charities in mind that that you're giving to, or um, are you just sort of picking them out as they come along? or? I guess it's they sort of um, picking them out as they come along to an extent. I want the whole process between myself and the breweries to be collaborative. So mm. if they have a particular um, issue they want to focus on within the sort of charitable giving aspect, then that's fantastic. Um, the first charity we supported was Mind Out, um, an LGBT mental health charity. Um, they've been going for 20 years this year, um, do some fantastic work with basically making mental health a community concern. Um, but it's, yeah, it can be anything really. Um, I think further down the line, I want to look beyond LGBTQ issues perhaps yeah, um, and look at the ways we can support or the, the project can support charities in other ways whether that's a disability rights charity or um, something focusing on race or going beyond our sort of initial remit. Yeah. So, I mean, from an LGBTQ perspective, um, what are some of the things you come up against just just in everyday life, but both in, yeah, like the wider sense in general society, but also in the, the craft beer community and in the brewing industry? So the brewing industry industry and craft beer community are I don't want to use the word accepting because it's not the right um, the, the right word, but for the sake of conversation, it's a pretty accepting community. Mm. Um, but there's there's always room for improvement. And I think one of the things that I say we we come up against is just not enough representation, not right. enough visual, visual representation. The old saying goes that if you can't see it, you can't be it. Right. Um, and often this world, whilst it can be ostensibly quite accepting, um, it still feels pretty straight, cisgender, white and male. Yeah. Um, so it can feel somewhat alienating or um, exclusive at times. So we need more people to sort of stand up and go, hey, we exist, we're here. So other people can see that and go, okay, I'm, I'm not being excluded from this community. Mm. Um, and then sort of from day to day, you still get some pretty awful behavior from some people, whether that's a punter over the bar or I've heard sort of tales of some pretty awful stuff coming from all sides, really. Um, and in terms of sort of examples, I guess, all you have to do is ask, a queer person about their experience of being in a bar or something yeah well I, I mean i'd love to share a story with you that um from my own experience um which is partly why i wanted to get you on because um I've, I've got real heart for the lgbtq community 
And back in the day, I used to work for a church and I, I left the mega church to start a microbrewery, which is a whole other story and podcast episode in and of itself. <laughs> and, um, and I started this brand called Emmanuel's with this hashtag, what would Jesus brew? It was quite, right. to- it was quite tongue in cheek. Um, but I, I was also part of um, this brewery collective and with lots of brewers from the city. And um, we, we had this meeting um, and there was a guy there, not introduced himself to me. I, as far as I was concerned, because I was all quite new to it, he didn't know who I was. So, um, we, you know, we're, we're sat there and we're chatting over all the points of the meeting and he's, he's slowly getting more and more drunk. And then in this lull in the conversation, in, te- in front of a table full of people, he turned to me and went, Nick, do you think gays need to be cured? And I was like, I beg your pardon. And he's like, do you think gays need to be cured? And I was like, I don't think gays need to be cured of anything. Then he went, well, I know that people in your church, and he's pointing at me in front of everybody, everyone's st- staring, he's going, say, I, I need to be cured. And then he banged his fist on the table and went, fuck. Being cured. There's nothing more derogatory to a gay person than needs to be told to be f***ing cured. I'm like, look, I don't think that at all. I don't, I was like, I, I genuinely do not think that. And I think that's abhorrent. And it left, it left me shaking, but I came away from it because this is right at the end of when I, when I worked for this church. I, ca- I came away from it being like, I really don't want people, for me, thinking that's what I think uh, because, because of the beliefs I hold. And and so I've, I, I guess since then I've I've been really I've been really keen to support um, LGBTQ issues. Um, you know, because I, I remember when I saw um, is it dinosaurs will die? Is that the yeah. a, a beer you did with Marvel? Yeah, I, I remember seeing that and buying that, thinking, well, in in some small way, I mean, that's probably the smallest thing you could do to be supportive. But I, you know, I bought because I was like, I, I, I just I can't get my head around like that people have those kind of thoughts i mean mm. is, is it i mean it, it, are they the kind of examples that you're referring to that people just come up against and um maybe less intense than that right um, <laughs> so, so that that was on the extreme end yeah absolutely um i guess well there's just a lot of misunderstanding um and people the term microaggressions can be used sort of um quite a lot and without meaning sometimes but Basically, it's just things that would, to someone who it, that wouldn't affect, they wouldn't notice the impact of it. Mm. Um, but I was talking to someone about this last night. Like, one thing that bars can do is just take a firm stance on sort of jokes, I guess. Like, yeah. you hear a customer in the bar just sort of making a slightly queerphobic or transphobic or whatever joke, and people just laugh it off. Whereas what it's actually doing is undermining that person's, the person who's affected by it, undermining yeah. the sense of identity. Mm. Um, and things like that can happen all the time. And to some people, you just absolutely miss it. Um, yeah. But it, it sort of, it sticks with you after a while. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you been met with any resistance to the Queer Brewing Project since launching it? Not really. Um, the response has been sort of overwhelmingly positive. There have been a few comments... Um, along the lines of, oh, do we even really need this? You're making more of a deal out of it than it needs. Um, like, LGBTQ people are already accepted, so let's just keep making normal beer. Or there's been a few people who are like, beer tastes great regardless who makes it. Mm. So what's the point in this? And that's fair enough. They don't see the need for it because they 
haven't been on the receiving end of anything mm. along those lines. Um, and I can understand where they might be coming from, but I guess you ask any queer person in the growing world who sort of reacted with a lot of joy at seeing this project, and it's like, well, there we go. If it just if it helps one person and makes them feel slightly less alienated, then of course we need this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's loads of conversations surrounding at the moment um, sexism. You know, and and um, I mean, it, in some ways, it feels like we're we're only just getting over the whole chesty blonde puns on a pump clip, but it's it's still there. I mean, I came across a brewery on Instagram recently where, with the launch of the James Bond film, with with whatever blonde pun it was, and the sort of silhouette of um, you know a woman, and I was and I, I messaged him just saying, look, come on, guys, like really, like really, you know, and. Um, Please tell me it wasn't called James Blonde. It, was it called James Bond? I don't think it was. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but it, you know, and so, yeah, you know, we're still having that conversation. So why, you know, I, I, why, why shouldn't we be having this conversation um, and about LGBTQ? And, and I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I definitely think that the, the issues need highlighting. For, for sure. I think because the beer and sexism debate has been going for a few years now, some people can look at it and go, right, that's done. We've ticked that box. That's sorted. Mm. Um, but again, ask pretty much any woman beyond sort of pump clips and things, it's still raging. The, the actual issue of sexism is still um, vehemently going on. And we still see sort of nonsense pump clips and just outrageously sexist stuff. But the really frustrating thing is when people... The people who create that, they hear the reaction and for, for the most part they just go, ah, well, that's just the PC brigade or whatever. And it's, how do, we, how do we approach it in a way that we can help them to understand why it's so offensive and why it's so awful? Mm. But yeah, I think, yeah, there's definitely a need for conversations surrounding everything really to sort of be amplified. Um, but what I wanted to do with this project is look at how we go beyond conversation because the conversations are fantastic and they're really eye-opening for some people, um, but sometimes they can ha happen in an echo chamber, Yeah. So, which is fine and that also does um, alert some people to the, the necessity of these conversations, but it can just sort of get stuck in a feedback loop, I think. Mm. Um, so on, I wanted to see how... I could do something for a community that means a lot to me and that I'm part of and actually make something from it and turn it into not direct action, but action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you touched upon um, like j jokes in bars and stuff, but what, what do you think breweries and bars, particularly bars, because that's like a third space, isn't it? Um, where lots of different people from all aspects of life congregate together in one space. But what, what do you think they can do to be more mindful or encourage people to be more mindful and accommodating of every everyone, regardless of race, gender, orientation, political or religious views and the like? So I think four things, really. Firstly, visual signposting. Um, so there's the Everyone Welcome initiative. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. No, I'm, I'm not. So it was sort of spearheaded by beer writer Melissa Cole, but with a, a bunch of other women and um minorities to use that sort of clunky term yeah um, to create 
a framework of sort of a, well, a resource um, that people can access for, not, I wouldn't say training, um, basically it's a, um, a poster that goes up in your, your venue, your pub, your bar, um, that basically sets out a list of things that are not tolerated in that venue. Mm. So racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, ageism, and just says, if you are, if you're, if you participate in any of these behaviours, you'll be asked to leave. Um, it will not be tolerated. And also underneath that, it says, if you are on the receiving end of any of this, <clears throat> please speak to our bar staff who will help out. Um, and then it's it gives a, like the framework of support for the venues themselves on how yeah. to deal with that. Um, so it's great because you walk into a place or you see the window sticker and you go, okay, are we looked after here? Yeah feel safe um i know that if this does happen i'll be okay um and also it is a deterrent to someone if they see a poster like that they're gonna go oh well maybe i won't be an asshole because i'll i'll get kicked out um so the second thing would be training i know that's a difficult thing to do for some bars and venues because they're so small or they don't have the the time money or resources but even just an evening of these are the kind of behaviours that we don't tolerate. Mm. Here's how to spot them. Here's how to combat them. Um, and give that to everyone. Um, but then follow up with managers, I guess, to show them how to support their staff because a, a bartender might not feel comfortable approaching a big, burly, swearing, racist bloke. Yeah. Um, but they can give them some support on how to on how to deal with that. Um I don't know how training like that could happen. Um, I'm not sure on that yet, but I think it's something that could work. I mean, I, th I think that's a real, that could be a real sort of niche in the market, but a needed thing. I mean, I know of, um, I mean, I've, I've met her once before. There's a, um, there's a, a person called Vicky Beeching. Um, she was a, a Christian touring musician. She, she, um, she realized when she was 15 that she was gay but then was still persisted in being a, a Christian artist and then got signed to like this major record label in the USA, even had to sign a disclaimer saying uh, like a, a moral clause, as it were, you know, like you, you adhere to these things, you know, and, and like um, homosexuality was, was forbidden. So she, she was closeted, basically closeted all this time going to um, perform in these mega churches and the, the pastor would get up and be like, be like, homosexuality is an abomination and all the rest of it. And she'd be sat, you know, but we've got Vicky Beeching with us today on the front row, leading us in this amazing time with these songs. And she'd be sat there thinking like, what the, like, what, what am I doing? You know? And then it, it got to the point where um, her body started to eat itself because of the stress she was under. Um, and, um, some of her tissue starts to turn to scar tissue and then she she wow. she, she she got you should read it this book i can't remember, i can't remember what it's called vicky beaching is her name um and she she nearly committed suicide but then um thought better of it and and, and came out but now as um, and then obviously she got a lot of flack for that um within the evangelical church particularly in america um but then um she she now um when she can, she's quite ill, but like she, um, goes around corporate, um, you know, like corporations 
and big companies and does teaching on 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 all that sort of stuff and just as you were saying yeah. that about the bars i think actually someone a, a vicky beaching type or someone like yourself may, may, maybe would be best placed in in you know those kind of bar environments teaching that because like you know it's i mean i've worked behind the tap room um when i when i used to be part of the shepherd beer company i'd, I'd behind the tap room sometimes yet like say get those big bold-headed aggressive types and you're the one that's got to go and deal with them mm. and you know and then you end up getting all kinds of abuse and there's that thing that tension within like within you of like i, I don't want to do this <laughs> because like yeah. it, it might all kick off and i'll be the punching bag but um but you have to so i i, I could definitely see a real need for that i'd be interested to see how that might work um again it's it's just sort of an idea but yeah it could be very worthwhile mm. um i think another thing that we could do and it's not super easy to implement i appreciate that but gender neutral toilets is something that i feel are really important mm. um because one of the first things it does is it signposts to the queer community that you've been considered yeah um and for people like myself trans people and non-binary people it's a huge deal because it I see that and I see that the, the venue or the, the manager has gone, okay, how can we make this a little bit easier for someone like that? Mm. Um, and if you've got, like, yeah, it can be difficult if there's just male and female toilets, but if there's a third one, um, it can be relatively simple to do. Yeah. Um, but it is something that's, yeah, really important, I think. Mm. So moving on, why did you choose to partner with Affinity Bruco on your first quote-unquote, official collaboration, so to speak? So, I love what Affinity do. Um, they make really, really good beer. Um, fantastic little team. Um, just the three of them uh, just brewing fantastic beer. Mm. Like Their Breeze was one of the first beers I had from them, which is a, um, a Thai-inspired Saison. I'm probably, no, the Thai-inspired Blondale which has notes of a Saison. Um, mm. They brewed it to go really well with Thai food. Um, they might correct me on that, but <laughs> uh, but they also, they're very vocal about what they believe in. Mm. Um, and I thought that for, that's entirely what this project is. It's sort of me standing up and planting a flag in the ground and going, this is what I think we should be focusing on or, or whatever. Um, so I thought that it would be a really good fit. Um, they've got, they see beer as a vehicle to express opinion. Um, a lot of breweries and organisations can say that, oh, we need to keep politics out of this because, for whatever reason, um, they see it as a as a negative thing or something that could divide people. Mm. Um, but even if it does divide people, it's an opportunity to create conversation. And I think that sometimes we think about things in a very polarised way, like either you're right or you're wrong. Yeah. Um, and the way they see it is... Or even if you disagree with someone, pick up a beer, have a conversation about it. Um, so they wear their heart very much on their sleeve and on the on their cans. Um, so it just seemed like a really, really good fit. Um, and it was. It was great fun. Um, we're still working together. Um, and the beer was fantastic. Mm. Just without tooting my own horn, it was delicious. <laughs> That's interesting you should say about... Um you know, talk about it in over a beer. Cause I, I think one of the, the best things about beer is that it, it really unifies people in a way that a lot of other things don't. So mm. pe people can, 
hold opinions more and, and debate them and discuss them over a pint and it's and it's not threatening it's like it's like there's some uh, uh, without sounding spiritual it's like there's something something beyond the beer itself that is kind of at work I, you know I, I don't know what that is but it's just, it's just it's just there's this unifying thing I think a lot of the time um, that helps and aids that kind of conversation yeah um melissa who i mentioned earlier mm. um has often said that beer is social lubricant but it, it's also social glue so yep. it, it makes conversations easier um especially when you in your cups um but it does bring people together um and i've kind of stolen that and sort of turned it into beer is social lubricant beer is social glue but beer can also affect social change yeah um and one of the things that i'm really excited to do is perhaps look beyond the beer bubble and get some of the beer that I make out into places where it's not so craft orientated. Mm. Again, that's not a criticism um, of very self-professed beer geek focused bars. It's sort of, it's where I like to drink. Um, but I'm interested to get stuff beyond that. Um, and what I want to do with the labels um, and the packaging of the beers that we make is talk about these issues um, in a way that if someone were to pick up one of their cans and read it and go, oh, I hadn't thought about that before, and then talk about their friend with it or whoever they're drinking with, mm. and really spark conversations where they might not otherwise happen. So, I don't know, Jerry down the pub might not have thought about the use of pronouns and how they affect people of different genders, but if he picks up this can and goes, hmm, that's something I hadn't thought about before, then then it's working. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that That sounds great. When you're approaching breweries then about this project, because I saw on your website that you're not choosing to exclusively partner with breweries with LGBTQ employees. Yeah. Um, like, um, how how are you approaching people? Um, have you got certain breweries in mind? Or are you just sort of like first and foremost going to the people that you know and have got relationship with? I think through doing what I do, sort of beer writing and other stuff like that, I built up, um, I built up quite a lot of relationships with breweries mm. um, so to begin with I've gone to a lot who I've, who I've known and said this is what I'm doing this is what I'd like to do would you like to be involved and predominantly the, uh, the response has been overwhelmingly positive um, so I've got a, a fantastically long list of breweries who I'm going to work with um, but there have been some who I have never worked with or don't know who I've approached and just sort of I've set out the aims and objectives of what I want to do and how I want to do it and just see if they were interested. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it's gone, it's gone really well. I'm going to be doing some stuff in America soon. Um, I've had interest from various different places. So it's Norway, I think a bit in Australia. So I think there's a sort of, well, it, I can clearly see that there's a need for this because so many people are so interested in it. Mm. Do you think being a beer writer's aided that platform for you? Yeah, I think definitely, um, because I've built a platform, um, and from that platform I launched this. Um, but it's something I've talked about for since I've started writing. Like My first piece I ever wrote was on my experience as a trans queer woman in the beer industry. Mm. Uh, and that went out on Good Beer Hunting January 2018. And the response, again, was sort of, wow, I had, either I hadn't thought of these issues like that or 
people like myself going, amazing, thanks for speaking out because it's been silent on these issues for a while. Mm. And that's not me taking credit for starting this conversation (laughs) by any means. Um, But yeah, I really want to not just go to a brewery with a gay person in it and go, you're like me, let's just do this together. I think that the onus for social change is on those who need it the least. Mm. Um, Like it's, yeah, the the responsibility lies with those who have um, caused the sort of issues in the first place and not, not speaking personally, but straight people need to help queer people out. So yeah, definitely. What do you hope will be the big picture impact of the queer brewing project? Uh, I mean, where would you like to see it in five years time? Uh, that's the first time I've been asked this. Um, I'm not sure to be honest because I'm, it's sort of, it's taken off so quickly and I'm just focusing on the, the right now or the few months ahead. Right. Um, I don't know. Part of me says I want my own brewery. Um, but <laughs> I think yeah. that's probably a little bit of ego speaking. Um, I'd like to just see it going as far as possible with a broader reach as possible. Mm. Um, it's difficult because I can't, it's not the kind of thing where you can get regular listings in pubs because they're one-off breweries with different breweries each time and the route to market is going to be different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd just like to see it go as far as possible. And if it lasts one or two years, then that's great. Like it's still, it still existed for that period of time, but I'd love to see it go further. Yeah. I guess that's a good thing about calling it a project. Um, because I was talking to um, Dan Paquette at um, St. Mars of the Desert in Sheffield. He, he used to run um, Pretty Things Beer and Ale projects in the States. And so when that mm. ended, he was like, he, he says, well, I could just say the project came to an end. <laughs> <laughs> so, it reached um, a natural conclusion. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, the project has ended rather than like the, the, the business, you know, I'm folding the business. Um, yeah. It's got, a, 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 it's like putting a bow on it rather than kind of like, it all fell to bits. Um, yeah. No, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to take it quite far. Mm. Um, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know how that would work. But given the responses had so far, I'm confident that it will run for a little bit at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been great to see what's been happening so far. Um, what exciting collaborations have you got lined up next, if, if you're allowed to say? Well, there's, I haven't signed any NDAs, um, but I just, I, there's some which are up in the air and some which are confirmed. Um, I'm making a session IPA with... Seventh Son in Tampa, Florida. Oh, nice. Um, I don't know if you know them. I don't, but uh, it's in Tampa, Florida, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't I was be bad. <laughs> yeah. I was out there um, in March for Hoonapoo's Day in a good beer hunting event, and I got to know Devon, who runs Seventh Son, actually at the Dinosaurs Will Die launch. Mm. Um, she was over for Manchester Beer Week, and we struck up a friendship. And I went out and um, sort of started the process of it collaboration she makes phenomenal beer from hobby beers through to incredible um sours to rich unctuous stouts um and we're making something that is is sort of accessible it's easy drinking most people will be able to pick it up and enjoy it so it's Mm. not exclusive um and i think we're looking at uh donating some of the proceeds to uh charities that support people in the aftermath of the pulse shooting in Orlando right, yeah. years back um, because yeah there's still fallout from that so we thought well let's give something to a local not so much community but a local organisation that's doing really good work mm. um, 
making a beer with Northern Monk in June, um, which is incredibly exciting because they're they're Northern Monk. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Who wouldn't want to make a beer with Northern Monk? <laughs> yeah. What more do you need to say? Um, so incredibly excited to brew up there, um, but also I'm pretty confident we're going to make something delicious. Amazing. So. How can people support you and your vision for the Queer Brewing Projects? How, how can listeners get involved themselves? So have conversations when the beer comes out. Try and pick it up, buy it, talk about it. Um, even if it's something that you're not sort of super familiar with or it's outside of your comfort zone, just have a chat about it um, and go from there. Um, I think yeah, it's difficult because I can't really say, the beer's in this store, go buy it now. Yeah. Um, but follow us on social media, so at Queer Brewing on Twitter and at Queer Brewing Project on Instagram. Um, and then you can find out more about the beers and everything that's going on. There's a Patreon, um, which can help financially support the project. Mm. Um, I'm looking for sponsors at the moment, but currently it's it's just me. Um, I wouldn't say self-funding because the Patreon support, but that really helps um, in a very tangible way. And same with buying merchandise. I've got hoodies and T-shirts um, all available on the website. So those are ways that you can sort of directly support um, and I guess also donate to charities if you if you feel that way inclined. Each can will or bottle will have details of the charity we're supporting. Mm. Um, so if you want to go a bit above and beyond and support in that way, you can just make a donation directly. Brilliant. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting to you on the podcast today, Lily. It's, it's um, been absolutely fantastic. So, um, yeah, th- thank you so much. I can't wait to see what happens with the Queer Brewing Project. Thanks. And, Thanks for uh, having me on. See how it goes. So, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Ford podcast this week. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, follow us on social media at Hot Ford Beers, and visit our website, hotford.beer, for more articles insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business until next time cheers